Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Beyond organic sleep. Cherry River Hard Seltzer. Only 90 calories, natural flavors, and no preservatives. Now available in Quebec Grocers and the Beer Store. And Johnny Bootlegger's Whiskey Old Fashioned is both refreshing and authentic to the classic cocktail. Available now at Saks near you. Marinero, the sick podcast. And with the Summer Olympics going on in Tokyo and the entire world's eyes on the 200 meter coming up on Wednesday, one guy who knows a thing or two about track and field and representing his country because he represented Canada at the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney and 2004 in Athens. He is the pride of Laval, Nicholas Macrozanaris Yasu. How's it going, Tony? Good. How are you? Very good. Happy to be on your show. Uh, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. When it comes to track and field, you are one of the experts in this country, of course, you also do great work with some young athletes, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. But for now, if we can, let's go down memory lane. 19 years old, you qualify for the Summer Olympics in Sydney. Can you begin to put into words what that reward felt like? Uh, it was an amazing feeling. Um, I was uh, relatively unknown. I showed up to the uh, uh, national track and field championships, Olympic qualifications. And it's just one of those days where I ran uh, a personal best where it matters. And with that, I uh, earned the Olympic standard for the Olympics. It was a deadline uh, that same day. And um, the wind was perfect. The stars were aligned. I was able to run uh, the race of my life and uh, ran a personal best. I ran under the, the Olympic standard and... Um, a couple of days later, I was officially uh, introduced into the Olympic team, and the journey began. Uh, paint a picture of what the village looks like. Uh, the best way I could describe the – it's hard to put into words because you have to be there to understand how big it is. The Olympic village is uh, its almost like saying a, a part of Laval. <laughs> All brand-new buildings – uh, there's uh, buses that pass every five minutes throughout the day for the entire two weeks during the Olympics that bring you to all different locations. 
Um, there's the cafeteria that's massive. I would say something like the size of the uh, the mall, and uh, there's uh, it's always open. Uh, it's really unique. In fact, <laughs> you know, there's so much food over there that there's a lot of people that uh, go to the Olympics. There's so much food, so much ice cream, so much, and they eat, and then they gain uh, excess weight, and uh, it hampers the performance. So it's uh, it's something to deal with. Too bad they didn't have an Olympics for eating food. I, I think I could probably uh, pick up the gold in that one. But let's talk about your experience in 2000 in Sydney. You ran at 1045, and I'm not so sure if this is accurate, but you tell me Wikipedia says you finished 42nd out of 95. Accurate? Pretty accurate. Uh, it's a long time from now, a uh, long time ago. Um, I was, uh, you know what, uh, Tony, I went going into the Olympics with a complete wrong mindset. When I went to the Olympics, I had a whole bunch of people telling me, Nick, you should be proud. Use it as an experience. Gain experience. Prepare yourself for 2004, the next Olympics. You're young. You have nothing to lose. But in the end of the day, I think it was the worst kind of advice I was getting from a whole bunch of people. You're going to the Olympics. You've got to grab the bull by the horn and start competing. And I don't care how old you are. You're there. Try to execute a good job and try to make the finals. But if you if you're just, you know, I went back and looked at the CBC interview that I did after my race. And what I said to the reporter was, uh, first of all, I'm glad to be here. And. You know, you shouldn't be just glad to be there. You should be glad to participate and try to win. And going into the Sydney Olympics, I, I think looking back now from an outside lens, I felt like I was going there with the wrong attitude. He is Nicholas Macrozanaris. I'm Marinero. It's a sick podcast. You can listen via iHeartRadio or follow us on all social media platforms. The show is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Go to myessentia.com slash sickpod and use code sickpod for a free pillow with your purchase beyond organic sleep. Uh, you came in as a relatively unknown. Maybe you tried to put people to sleep, but there were a lot of people that were awake at the time. I have to ask you, Nick, because every time people think track and field, especially the 100 meters, and especially the podium, or especially the winner of the gold medal, people automatically associate it with steroids. When you participated in your first Olympics in 2000 and in your second in 2004, did you have the feeling that everyone around you was on steroids or some people around you were on steroids or the winners were on steroids? And did you ever take steroids? Um, it was when I was uh, in my first Olympic Games, I was 19, 20 years old. I didn't put too much uh, emphasis on trying to think that out. So it didn't really affect me. But as I was getting uh, involved in the, in the world of athletics, uh, it was kind of obvious that there was a lot of that kind of activity going on. And um, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because, you know, for example, uh, you know, I finished uh, 16th at the Olympics and over time they kept samples, they retest them and people got banned. And now I'm dropping down to 11th. And uh, who knows? I always say the joke, maybe when I turn 70, uh, I'll, I'll end up uh, getting a medal. <laughs> so you were clean? I was clean. First of all, Tony, if I wasn't clean, uh, I, I, I would, as if I would tell you, right? 
Well, we're friends. The loaded uh, question there. Eh? <laughs> you you ran a ten. What was it? A ten zero three back in two thousand and three. If memory serves me well. Right. When you take a look back and you ran a 10-0-3 in 2003, it wasn't the Olympics. What was it at the time? Was it the... Uh, Super Grand Prix in Mexico City. That's exactly what it was. When you take a look at that score, knowing that you were clean, do you say to yourself that if you weren't clean, that you could have ran a 990, maybe less? Possible? You know, no, I'll tell you what I think. I feel that... Um, I've devoted my life in athletics and I look back now and I try to uh, uh, pinpoint all the mistakes that I did. And I would like to tell you that everything was perfect. I've done a lot of things that are incorrect. And if I were to uh, be able to refine and avoid certain mistakes and certain ways of approaching things and certain ways of training, uh, I think I would have run a lot faster 10.03 uh, clean. Um, now with steroids um you got to understand one thing uh canada is heavily invested in testing they would come to my house at six o'clock in the morning um they would test me uh i have a piles and piles of receipts um it was just never in in my in my scope to even consider it because i had this uh, idea of doing well and winning a medal without um but you know that was a little bit naive because you look back now, you see a lot of that kind of activity and it's frustrating to me because um, I'm sensitive to the topic, you know, and I, uh, I hate cheaters and I hate, hate hypocrites. And uh, when I see stuff like that, um, it takes away of a lot of good opportunities from hardworking athletes. Despite not taking any performance enhancing drugs, you are one of the fastest Canadian sprinters of all time. Right? Who is there? There's right. there's Donovan Bailey, there's Bruce Andre DeGrasse, uh, Aaron, Aaron Brown, and Gavin Smelly, I believe. Possibly, yes. I'm so you're you're probably the sixth, seventh fastest Canadian sprinter of all time. I tell you that it must be a pretty cool feeling, huh? It's good. It's good. But like I said, I think looking back. There's a lot of things I could have done differently that uh, would probably have better outcome. But you know what? You don't live in the past. You look forward. And that's why you try to teach the next generation of athletes to, do, uh, to avoid the mistakes I did as an athlete. 25 years ago today, it's one of the most memorable races that I can remember anyway, being a fan of Canadian Olympians, of course. It was... Um, it was the four times 100 meter uh, final. It was uh, Esme, Gilbert, Surin, and Bailey. I'm sure you can remember that race as well. 25 years later, what do you remember from that race? Uh, that, that, that changed my life. Uh, that week changed my life because I remember like it was yesterday exactly uh, how it all pl played out. I actually... Um, watched Donovan Bailey uh, with my mother in the living room uh, break the world record and win the gold for Canada in the 100-meter sprints. And Tony, it sounds like a movie, but I immediately went outside and um, I, uh, I started running on the streets. And there was a 16-year-old kid. Now, keep in mind, back then, internet didn't exist. You know, 
the only thing that I was able to keep you entertained on the weekend uh, was to go out. I, I was underage, and there was David Letterman on a Friday night. But be, besides that, the only thing that I had, I spent a lot of time dreaming. And, and Bleu Nuit on a Saturday night. And Bleu Nuit, of course. Don't forget <laughs> Bleu Nuit. <laughs> no, but the only thing you have to do is think about dreaming, right? Thinking about going into the Olympics and watching your mom have that reaction that she had for Donovan Bailey to win the gold medal. I said, imagine if she saw her own son in that situation, how, how much joy it would bring her. So it was a special night. It changed my life forever. And one of the things that I remember um, to put parallel to, to that, that night is Donovan Bailey inspired my run. And literally four years later, I'm in a room somewhere in Australia, in Brisbane, uh, only him and I, and I'm just looking at him. And I, I say to myself, I can't believe this, that this guy here inspired me four years to the day And now I'm here in this room uh, and we're about to enter the uh, Sydney Olympics. An amazing moment and uh, the power of TV, I guess, right? Yeah, you're right about that. It's a sick podcast. A shout out to Sophistication, event rentals, live music, DJ sound systems, tents, chairs, tables, decor, lighting, photo booth, TV screens, your one-stop shop. Call them 514-570-5770 with Nicholas Macrozanaris who competed in two Olympics, the 2000 Sydney Olympics and 2004 uh, Summer Olympics in Athens, where you finished 28th out of 80 in the 100-meter event. Um, that's pretty cool. Not bad. Not bad. I could have done better. <laughs> But, like, again, uh, always great memories. I've experienced incredible moments, uh, traveled the world. Sport has brought so much joy and so much uh, um, excitement in my life. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sports fan for life. Nick, we've seen a lot of athletes uh, and runners compete in the Olympics in their early 30s, even their mid-30s, obviously. The law of physics, you decline. Uh, take me back to your career. You participated in two Olympics, which anyone would sign off for, of course. Uh, but what happened after that? What happened after the 2004 Summer Olympics? Well, you you uh, you deal with uh, uh, injuries. You deal with unfortunate uh, politics from the sport. Um, you're very passionate. You want to succeed. There's some uh, obstacles in the way. You think it's unfair, and you know um, sometimes you get uh, consumed in that, and you start to lose uh, focus on uh, the big picture. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of things that I could have done differently. But um, nonetheless, I'm really, really happy with the outcome. I tried my best. Um, I, I did it nobly. I did it cleanly. Um, one thing that I always kept reminding myself is I said to myself, Give, leave no regrets on the track because the last thing you want to be is 40 years old and having regrets. It's a, it's a miserable place to be, and I honestly can tell you that I'm a very, very happy and content person. I did whatever I was able to do uh, with the best of my ability, the talent that I got from my mom and my father, and that was the best I was able to do, and I hope that I um, I hope I was able to bring uh, happiness in uh, while people were watching me and cheering for me, and also I hope I was able to... Um, give the the interest 
to the next generation of sprinters um, the same way Donovan Bailey did for me. Translation, my translation, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong. There are certain people that didn't like to see you at the top or, or, or close to. They probably wanted to push others. You probably felt you were a little bit blackballed. Uh, and because of that, they just crushed your spirit. Am I close? Hey, listen, me, I, I'm a, I'm a, I have no, my ego, uh, it's very, very solid, right? <laughs> but I think that I could have behaved slightly different in certain points. You know, it's okay to say that sometimes uh, you have maybe uh, dealt certain things uh, wrong. Yeah. Um, and there was a, uh, an outcome for that. And um, although it's not fair, uh, you have to kind of like learn to deal with it. And, um, you know, a more mature athlete uh, goes around it and deals with it as opposed to me at the time, a young kid, 23 years old, 24. Um, I, 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 I couldn't deal with it. I was, uh, I was a rebel a little bit. A shout out to it, takes, it takes a lot of courage to, yeah. to admit to that, eh? Yeah, and, and you know what? Because that I, I'm sure you make a great mentor. You work with a lot of young athletes. Uh, you're able to recognize your faults. You're able to give fantastic advice. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you're a great coach because of it. A shout-out to sportbuffshop.com for all of your officially licensed sports apparel and more. Use code 615 for 15% off on all of their items. Any sport, you look it up, and you'll be able to find some of their apparel. With Nicholas Macrosanaris, you can listen to us on iHeartRadio. Follow us on all social media platforms. Um, can you begin to explain the pressure of the Olympics. Simone Biles is an American gymnast who at one point in the Summer Olympics in Tokyo said, I need to pull away for my mental health. And she needed some time off. She's since returned and actually won a bronze in, uh, in her final event. But can you begin to explain what she was going through, what Olympians go through? Because with all due respect to hockey players who play an 82-game season and basketball players who play an 82-game season and football players who play, you know, 16 games and the list goes on and on and baseball will play 162, this is one event or it's two events and in some cases it lasts 10 seconds with the weight of the entire country on your shoulders. Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but even from afar, I find it suffocating. Or am I too soft in thinking that? It's a good question. And, um, you know, it's a sensitive topic to me because there's a lot of information that's not being revealed. And you have to kind of dig into it to try to understand what exactly happened with Simone. For me, my definition of an Olympic athlete is, a, is a, a, an athlete that has a lot of discipline, an athlete that could go through a lot of uh, stress physical and mental, an athlete that is very disciplined and consistent with every single day working and, 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 and one step closer to their overall objective. And an Olympic athlete is also an athlete that's able to go at the Olympic qualification, have the eye of the tiger, go out there, deal with anxiety, deal with stress, and go out there and execute and qualify for the Olympic team. Uh, for the Olympic team. Now, for the viewers that or watching, you have to take into consideration there's 40 million Canadians, there's only two spots to qualify, and it's every four years. So your margin of error doesn't exist. So 
you, in order for you to qualify and perform and get to the Olympics and win a gold medal, you have to put everything into place and deal with anxiety and deal with mental stress and deal with all that stuff. And that's what makes an Olympic athlete. What happened now is uh, Simone went to the Rio Olympics. She won four gold medals, two bronze medals, if I can remember, remember correctly. And um, she was going into uh, the... Um, the Tokyo Olympics, but this is what happened. Her medical file from the WADA was hacked and compromised and leaked. And we find out now that she uh, was an exemption on some kind of medication that helps you stay focused. Um, that's something that's extremely important to mention because that's a banned substance, but she got a medical exception and she was allowed to use it. The problem, they don't talk about this, the problem is in Tokyo and Japan, um, that drug uh, is a complete banned substance. It's considered like cocaine. You can't bring it into the country. And there's a there's a, a very sensitive topic for the Japanese culture because the reason it's banned, it's almost like speed that helps you stay super focused. And uh, for people that have attention deficit disorders, and they would give these drugs to um, kamikazes during World War II. So they, they take that drug uh, seriously and they completely ban it. Now, Simone went to the Olympics and she can't have that medication with her. And we found out now from a leaked documents that she had an exemption four years ago and she was using these drugs. Now, an Olympic athlete should be able to deal with anxiety. And if you need medication or any kind of medication to deal with certain things, then you're not an Olympic athlete. You should stay home. And I take it personal because over the years, I was the one that was affected because I was the one that was dealing with the demons of being on the stress that you're talking about. Do you understand what I'm saying? So to say the least is that I have no, I, I don't have any, uh, uh, I don't feel sorry for athletes like that. I just feel like the person. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me ask you this though. Um, Shouldn't all athletes maybe be able to have the use of this medication? And it probably shouldn't be a banned substance if we can all agree that mental health issues are sick, not weak. A hundred percent. I understand. And I'm not sensitive to the fact that there's some people it's a serious problem and it's it's it's, it's a, a problem that a lot of people deal with. And I'm not suggesting if she's having that problem or she's not having that problem. Absolutely not. You know, and I think I don't want to come across as a person that doesn't care about people who are going through this stuff. You're saying she was granted a, a privilege when others were not. Right. But whether she needed or not, that's a, a, that's a discussion to have. What you're asking is, should we leave all athletes have access to these medic medications? Well, during my era, this is something a lot of people don't like to talk about. During my era, antidepressants was not a bad substance. But they start realizing... X amount of athletes were all on antidepressants. Why? Is it that bad to go to the Olympics? Is it that depressful? Um, so they find out that... Stress. If you feel good, you sleep good, you train better, you perform better, you're happier, your overall, your mood, everything's just better. So that's an edge. They start taking that until they put that also in the advanced substance. Where do you draw the line? In the end of the day... You have to be a super athlete. And just like I did, 
dealt with so much stress to try to compete at the highest level. When you're taking any sort of medication that could be deemed as performance enhancement, whether it's physical or mental, I don't approve. I don't approve because I was victimized. And if you had a daughter that competed with Simone four years ago at the Olympics and she finished second, and you find out now through leaked documents that um, she was on that kind of medication, you might have been a, a little bit frustrated right now. Maybe. He's Nicholas Macrosanaris. I'm Tony Marinero. It's the Sick Podcast. All right. The 200-meter final goes Wednesday. Aaron Brown has a shot at it. So does Andre DeGrasse. If you were to place your bet on my bookie and you go to mybookie.ag slash the sick podcast and use code SICKPICKS for a 50% deposit bonus, bet, win, and get paid, will one of these Canadians win gold? Yes or no and why? In the 200 meters? Yes. I think... Uh... I think for sure uh, Andre Degrassi has a, a very good opportunity right now to win. Uh, he's a little bit tired from running the 100 meters, but one thing that I like to, uh, one thing that I admire a lot by that uh, athlete is the ability to compete at the most important time. And he runs his personal best at the world he's, championships. He's clutch. Clutch. Yeah, 100% clutch. And Tony, to be able to do that kind of execution at that level all the time, consistently, it's a, it's a, a, an amazing athlete. Because trust me, I had a hard time running a personal best when it matters the most. The stress that gets the best of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this guy this flourishes. This is a weird thing to say because he just won bronze a couple of days ago in the 100 meters. So that's no slight. But in my opinion... He's a better 200-meter runner than he is a 100-meter runner. Am I right or wrong in thinking that? Um, I think you're right. I, I, both his times are very, like, world-class. But it just seems to me that his 200 meters, it's, it's done uh, more fluently. Like, you just saw him uh, compete right now in semifinals of the first round. He ran a national record, and uh, the last 10 meters, he was cruising, looking around. To me, uh, I think he ran 1972 or something like that. I'm not quite sure, but it was very fast. And um, I, I guess in the finals, in the 100 meters, if we redo the race, it would be different results. And if we redo the race again, it would be different results. It's who's able to go out there and execute at the most important time. And in that particular night, it was your compadre. From Italy. Marcel. <laughs> it's a, it's an Italian summer. It started with the Italian national team at Euro 2020, and it's going on through the Olympics. By the way, my favorite moment was uh, the, um, the athlete from Ghana uh, and the athlete from Italy in the, uh, in the high jump, both sharing the gold. The official goes up to them and says, it's too close to call, and the athlete from Ghana says, can we have too cold? And he says, yes, if you guys decide that that's what you want. And he looks at him and he says, we do it. Olympic champions. We make history. I cried. Magical. I Magical. cried. I cried. Uh, I could, I could relate to that because in long jump, the only time you could do certain stuff like that is in long jump, right? Or high jump in, in these events. And 
I, it's just so magical to be able to capture that moment where, and there was no hesitation because beautiful, it's beautiful. It's too much to lose to try to say, no, I want to compete and potentially risk finishing second. So it was magical that they both agreed and they both became Olympic champion. What I find uh, disappointing is that I was thinking that the guy who finished fourth place was equally shocked because I was expecting that he would get bronze, but they're not giving a bronze. It was a gold, gold, uh, silver. So, oh, well, isn't, yeah, isn't that something? Hey, listen, um, you work with young athletes. You are known as a great track coach. I think you have some great advice to give and obviously some awesome experience to pass on. Is there an athlete that you're working with right now that you say, Tony, watch out for this athlete. This athlete one day will not only go to the Olympics, but has a serious shot to medal. Yes or no? And who would that athlete be if so? I have quite a few. I, I got to give credit, uh, but it's so hard to get to that level, you know. And um, right now um, we have one athlete. Uh, we have two, right? Uh, we have a lot. I don't want to discredit others, but yeah. uh, I will mention we have Lorraine, who is a, a national champ. Yeah, uh, she's uh, she she uh, she had a tough season because of COVID, but she has a good opportunity to do great things. And also, uh, we have uh, Joe Bernard is Zin. I know him well. I know him well. He used to play soccer against my son. He's a 2003. He's probably what six three, six four. Yeah, yeah, I know him well. Tony, when I tell you this kid has what it takes to succeed, he's an incredible performer. Um, he, um, Nick, if I can, they used to kick the ball for him, long ball, and he was off to the races. If your uh, back line actually played high, he was off on a breakaway. It was over. Right. Uh, he, he has, he has what it takes. Let me just put you in context. When I was 16 or 17 years old, 17, um, 17 years old, I ran 1103, 11 seconds, 03 split seconds. That's what I ran. He ran at 16, 1074. Now, I use metrics to understand the potential of an athlete. And if you compare it to me, based on what I was able to achieve, uh, it basically says that this kid has incredible perform uh, opportunities to perform. Now, the secret is, or the, the, the challenge is, can we put every piece of the puzzle, whether it's mental, whether it's discipline, consistency, nutrition, all that stuff has to be put all together in order to create an amazing athlete for him to reach his full potential. And that's up to him. I could guide him, but it's up to him for him to execute it. Nick, uh, you won so many medals, of course, at the track and field championships. You did not medal at the Olympics, but you participated in two Olympics in 2000 in Sydney and 2004. You are a champion in my books. And this to you, my friend, Cherry River Heart Seltzer, only 90 calories, natural flavors, no preservatives, now available in Quebec grocery stores and the beer stores. To you, I say cheers, salute on what was a beautiful career and continue to have a beautiful career mentoring these young athletes that you work with. Here's for you. Thanks, Tony. You've always been supportive, too, so I'm glad, uh, I'm, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to be friends with you. You know what they say, eh? You're Greek, I'm Italian. Una faccia, una razza. Thank you, Nicholas Macrosanaris. I appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Likewise. Have a nice day. It's the Sick Podcast. I'm Marinero. Until next time. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. 
Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Beyond organic sleep, Cherry River Hard Seltzer, only 90 calories, natural flavors, and no preservatives. Now available in Quebec Grocery and The Beer Store. And Johnny Bootlegger's Whiskey Old Fashioned is both refreshing and authentic to the classic cocktail. Available now at Saks near you.